Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. When I graduated from high school in 1985, my father gave me a book titled The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, a book that changes lives. He described it as a book about living in the moment and finding joy in simple things. As touched as I was by it, this gesture by my father, my young mind expected that reading it would be a lot like watching paint dry. Before I finished the preface, I was hooked. Riveted by the story of a young man searching for meaning, I consumed the book. The messages that resonated with me from that first reading were, number one, yesterday is gone, tomorrow never comes, life is simply a perpetual moment, and two, that there is no such thing as an ordinary moment. Over the last 37 years, I have reread The Way of the Peaceful Warrior at least 10 more times. My original copy is marked up and dog-eared so that I can quickly find my favorite passages, and I always have extra copies in my office to give out to my clients who are searching for meaning and connection. If it sounds like I'm a bit of a Peaceful Warrior groupie, it's because I am. With that as the background, it's easy to understand why I'm excited for today's conversation. Joining me to discuss his new book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, is author, speaker, and teacher Dan Millman. Dan teaches the Peaceful Warrior's way in the United States and around the world. He's the author of 18 books that are published in 29 languages. Dan is a former world champion athlete, university coach, martial arts instructor, and college professor. His best-selling book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, was adapted into a feature film starring Nick Nolte. Welcome to the program, Dan. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. And so good we have this conversation. I'm delighted to be here with you. Yeah, as I, uh, I said in the intro, it's a book that I've read over and over, and uh, it has some some wonderful messages which we will get into. And the new book, The True Story of Your Journey, is something that we will also get into today. And uh, so I'm looking forward to this, but I need to just take a second to remind our listeners that we value your participation. So if you have a question for Dan or a comment about today's topic, there are three ways to connect with us. If you're in Anchorage, uh, our phone number locally is 907-550-8433. If you're listening outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at one 553 And the last way to participate is to email us your questions. That's line1 at alaskapublic.org. We will do our best to answer your questions on the air. All right, Dan, let's... Um, I guess, can you uh, talk a little bit briefly um, about yourself, your background, and, and where you're at at this point in your journey? Well, at this moment, I'm in Brooklyn, New York, where Joy, my wife Joy, and I live. If you hear any sirens in the background, I don't <laughs> charge extra for the sound effects. <laughs> um, where I am in my journey in my life, uh, I, I will turn 76 years old next month. Um, and it's a good time to write a memoir uh, while I still have some memories in my memory banks and a chance to look back on my life because objectively I have more to look back on than forward to. Uh, uh, so it just seemed the appropriate time, like all of my books, and each one just came at the right time and said, write me. 
Um, so this is probably my culminating work. Um, and it was a chance because some of my books, you know, are, are novelistic. They mix fact and fiction. This was my first chance to write the true story behind the story. And I would never presume, Prentice, to, that many people who don't even know me or my work are going to want to read a book about this character named Dan Millman. Um, but it's really about all our quests. I hope many people will say, you know, I can relate, even though the particulars of your story are quite different from mine. There are elements that I can really relate to that help uh, shed some light on the quest for meaning, fulfillment, happiness, even illumination. Um, and, and that's pretty much why I wrote the book. And where I am today is just uh, the birth announcements, letting people know about the book and why it uh, might possibly interest them. Yeah, I like uh, I like that message. And it does speak to um, everyday sort of troubles and challenges that people face in a way of sort of dealing with those things um, and working you know, working to improve and practice um, living well. And uh, that's that's one of the things I love about your writing. And you mentioned uh, novelistic, The Journey of Socrates was a, a great read. It was a page turner and, and very unlike a lot of your other books uh, in that it was sort of that novelistic. And then um, The Journey of the Peaceful Warrior was very sort of out there and metaphysical, I guess, um, which was different from the other ones. They're all so unique. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. You can read, spend a lot of time reading your books. Um, all right. So you describe your life sort of as a, a spiritual quest and early in your new book, you define spiritual as that which inspires and uplifts. Can you sort of expand on that definition a little bit and what sort of words would you have for people who are kind of looking for that? I think many of us are. Well, yes. And the way I would put it, the context I provide is that we live in two worlds and 99% of our time is spent appropriately in the conventional world, our work, education, taking care of children, um, and, and so on in our everyday life. But many of us have a yearning for something uh, beyond news, weather, and sports, uh, the transcendent. And we refer to that as spiritual life, spiritual practice. And for some people, it involves belief and faith and, and a particular religion and a community. For others, it's more uh, Eastern, um, because some people have become disillusioned with the Western solution to happiness. The Western promise right. is unleashing our power, uh, is uh, achievement and success and so on. Uh, the extroverted approach to life. And so some people who become disillusioned with that, they haven't really found happiness through success or achievement, uh, or they have found success, but just not a lasting fulfillment. Uh, and so they look to the Eastern promise of happiness, which is uh, the more introspective, that all our answers lie inside and uh, meditation and in various insight work and practices that involve that type of inside work. And my view, having gone through and gone around the track and uh, through a great deal of experiences that I describe in the new book um, over decades, uh, is that we want to embrace the best of East and West, not reject either one. 
um, but it's it's a blend. And I try to keep things, as you know, practical, uh, focused on everyday life. Um, so this is the approach to living I call the peaceful warrior's way. Uh, and I, I should say, I may be jumping ahead here a bit, but I, I do want to set the context that um, each of us is a peaceful warrior in training. Because I don't know anyone who isn't striving to live with a more peaceful heart, right. um, with equanimity and serenity in the chaos of everyday life and the news. But at the same time, we have to recognize there are times we need a warrior's spirit. And it's not about fighting necessarily, except for, with the inner demons of doubt, fear, insecurity, and so on. Um, but it's really about standing up tall inside of ourselves and recognizing our worth, rolling up our sleeves and tackling what daily life delivers. Because I view life, uh, I view earth as a, a perfect school for souls and daily life as our classroom. And in, in that sense, uh, it's a form of, again, spiritual weight training. And if you don't lift any weights, you don't get any stronger. So that provides a larger context for what I mean by the peaceful warrior's way, a peaceful heart, warrior spirit, which is why I used it for my culminating book. Yeah, I, I really like that idea. Like right now, especially in these times of COVID and political divide and so much of what you hear in the news and the radio like is just toxic and poisonous. And um, that warrior spirit, uh, so many of us are struggling with anxiety and depression and and consumerism is driving, you know, everything in the, the Western way, as you mentioned. So, um, yeah, I think every research, uh, every research study, everything done on happiness, like indicates that it's not from wealth or stuff. It's from connection and people, um, you know, and that sort of like being connected to yourself and to a higher power of some type or, or spirituality and then relationships. And that's, I think, what exactly. you talk about. And, you know, there's an old Serbian proverb that says two men looked out of prison bars. One saw mud and the other saw stars. Now, we, we mm. know that in our lives, both the mud and the stars exist. And we can't ignore the mud or deny it or we end up stepping in it. But we also want to remember the stars because with all the news today, as you pointed out, the difficulties that the anxiety and stress provoking types of things, if we obsess on them, uh, we know they exist and there are troubles in the world and divisiveness and so on. At the same time, there is great beauty, the stars, let's say, and the stars are what spirituality is about. So yes, in my key terms in the beginning of the book, I define spirituality as that which inspires or uplifts. And, you know, this came from a conversation I had with my uh, daughter when she was one of my daughters. When when Sierra was 10 years old, uh, I asked her to name, give me a list, if she could. And she was a voracious reader of 10 books she considered spiritual books. And she gave me that list the next day. And not a single one of them were about New Age themes or religion or metaphysics. They were all books that uplifted her, that touched her heart. And when our heart is touched and when we feel that upliftment, we connect with the transcendent. Some say our higher self. Uh, and to me, that's what spirituality is about. It's not just a set of practices or a particular church or group 
or, or um, approach or method. Uh, it, it's with us every day. You know, the weather person doesn't come on the radio saying a 20% chance of rain and 32% spirit out. <laughs> I mean, we're immersed in spirit, in beauty, in inspiration. We don't often notice it because we're preoccupied. What am I going to do about my relationship, my body, my physical ailments, my finances, my career decisions? So we rarely have the free attention to look with the eyes of a child at the world and, and remember the beauty and the spirit that are around us. Um, so to me, everywhere I look is spirit. So I don't know what isn't spiritual, right. frankly, anymore. All right. For those who might be tuning in late, my guest today is author, speaker, and teacher Dan Millman. Dan's the author of the international bestseller, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. He is joining me today to discuss his newest book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, which is the true story of Dan's spiritual quest. If you have a question for Dan or a comment about today's topic, you can reach us in three ways. Our Anchorage phone number is 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, you can call us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to get your questions on the air is to email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Okay, um, I want to clear up a few of the questions that I had after reading The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, um, and I still have despite now having read Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. Uh, just like who is... Socrates like was he a real person who lived and taught you over time or or as it sort of indicated in your last book sort of a brief encounter that you sort of carried with you in your consciousness as your own internal teacher or does that even matter well I don't think it ultimately matters right. um, you know that old saying when the student is ready the teacher appears mm -hmm. many of us have heard that saying but many misunderstand it, I, I believe. Um, they think that when they are somehow deserving uh, in terms of ready or having gone through enough suffering or enough preparation that some teacher like Socrates, as I describe in my first book, uh, will appear to guide them or kick them up the path. Um, but the way I see it is when the student is ready or really paying attention, the teacher appears everywhere. You can learn mm -hmm. a profound lesson from watching a cloud drift across the sky or seeing a tree bend in the wind or a stream flowing downhill. Um, nature has always been my primary teacher. So, you know, Mr. Miyagi was the teacher of Daniel-san, yes. the Karate Kid. And, and uh, Arthur had Merlin and uh, uh, Carlos Castaneda had Don Juan. Uh, um, there are, are so many uh, examples of the, the student and the teacher that when I wanted to convey all that I had learned, actually from the first two mentors I described in my new book, uh, of two of the four mentors I described, um, I wanted to convey something, and I and I didn't even know what to call the book. You know, what do you call a book that we just all these ideas that you want to share with people. I had no idea who would like it or if it would ever sell or anything. I just right. wanted to write it. So, so um, you know, I had taught a course at Oberlin College when I was a professor uh, years ago, um, and it was a compendium of two martial arts, Aikido and Tai Chi. And so I was going to call the course the way of the warrior. Uh, but 
because they're internal arts, I said, you know, that doesn't quite fit. And I said, hey, how about Way of the Peaceful Warrior? And that's the first time organically that term came up for me. And it's stuck ever since. So when I finally, finally wrote the first book, uh, I decided to call it that. And I, the, first, the second to last draft of my, my book, since you, you're a fan of it, I, you might find this interesting, was basically just a self-help nonfiction book. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about meeting this old guy in a gas station one night, and then the rest of it was, here's what I learned, and then I share it with the reader. But I'm, the editor had so many questions. What about this? Did, what about your relationship? Did you ever help him? What was it like? So I ended up doing an immersive 20-hour-a-day rewrite for about a week, and it came out, the, the final book. Um, but yes, he served as my literary mentor, and... The thing is, people tell me, oh, I wish I had a teacher like Socrates. Well, they do. Um, I, he, was, I, he was based on, as you know, a man I actually met in a service right. station about three in the morning when I was a junior in college. However, um, he is essentially my creation, the character in the book. Now, people might very well go, well, wait a minute, if he was just a creation, how did you come up with all this material? And of course, the new book is my response, my answer to that question. Because many people who read my first book or seen the movie, let's say, um, they imagine, oh, he was a young athlete and, and then he was a college professor and now he's teaching about spiritual themes. But there was a lot in between, uh, considerable preparation as you know, you know now, Prentice. Um, so, so that's what I would say about Socrates. It's a, we all have our mentors, our role models, our teachers in our lives. Um, but I describe a, a deep relationship that spanned two decades, actually, in preparation with four different mentors, one after the next. Um, I found them through synchronicity, in a sense, uh, and... I, I described to readers how I met them, why I was attracted to them due to their considerable value, um, but also why I moved on. So it is a cautionary tale in a sense about the spiritual search, which in a sense only reinforces the dilemma that sent us seeking in the first place. This always searching for something more. Now, on one hand, that's beautiful, but on the other hand, it can be crazy making too. Uh, because it's never enough. So anyway, those thoughts came up in response to your, your question. Yeah, and that's, I think, an important piece that um, we'll get into right after the break. I'd like to talk more about those mentors and those experiences, but what I really like about uh, your newest uh, book is that description of your mentors as being really important, but then you becoming a little bit disillusioned with some of the stuff that was going on and sort of like you took the pieces that um, that were valuable but didn't just swallow it whole. And I think a lot of people have this idea of sort of these uh, gurus as charlatans or sort of like you know, snake oil salesmen. Um, and maybe there is a little bit of that, but there was some powerful messages. And your search was quite extensive as you, you've practiced many, many things um, along your travels and, and done some really fascinating stuff. So we will uh, get into a little bit of that. We'll get back to that right after the break. But uh, we are up against our 20-minute break. So for 
Those of you who might just be joining us, my guest today is author, speaker, and teacher Dan Millman. He is the author of the international bestseller, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. He's joining us today to discuss his newest book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, which is his true story of his spiritual quest. If you have a question for Dan or a comment for us today, please give us a call, send us an email in Anchorage, 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, toll free is 1-888-353-5752. And our email is line1.alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we'll continue our conversation with Dan Melman. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and you're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Most people who received a COVID vaccine still have great protection against hospitalization and death. However, if you're 16 and older and it's been six months since your last Pfizer or Moderna dose, or two months since your Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you are now eligible for a booster. Learn more at covidvax.alaska.gov or call the Alaska COVID Helpline at 907-646-3322. This message sponsored by Department of Health and Social Services. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just joining us, my guest today is author and speaker and teacher, Dan Millman. He's the author of the international bestseller, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. We are discussing his newest addition to his collection of 18 books, uh, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, which is the true story of his spiritual quest. If you have a question or a comment, about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. In Anchorage, that's 907-550-8433. Toll free, 1-88-353-5752. And our email is line1-at-alaskapublic.org. Um, I typically get uh, a lot of calls at the end of the show, and then we run out of time. So if you have a question for Dan or a comment, um, if you've read his book, if you want to... Uh, dig into some of this stuff please don't hesitate to uh to join us all right um it sounds like socrates is sort of a culmination or a collection of of wisdom that you have collected uh through the course of of your life um so can you sort of maybe uh, sum up or talk briefly about these different mentors and and this search that you were on and how you found them and you know where, what you took away and why you left or why you moved on. I guess you didn't leave, but why you moved on and kept, kept looking. Yes, I'd, I'd be happy to. And I wanna make clear from the start that I have a, a sense of deep gratitude and respect for each of my mentors. It's not as if I collect teachers. Some right. people do that, vagabonds who travel around and, and then uh, 
quickly say, well, this teacher, you know, I'm above this. Mm -hmm. I've grown out of them and move on. And and there's nothing dismissive uh, in my view. They they were all, they had the mojo. They were all very heavy hitters, radically different teachers. Um, Well, my awakening was, began really, uh, I look back now in the realm of sport because as a a 10 year old, I loved jumping up and down on the trampoline. Many people have experienced that. But somehow fortune directed me toward learning, always learning new moves, new elements. And eventually, in fact, as you know, the book opens after the preface, it opens in midair appropriately, where I'm uh, at the world championships. Um, And doing trampoline and and gymnastics, uh, my chosen sport, um, which had its challenges, of course, uh, a sort of warrior sport because your body's on the line. Uh, that led me, that was my first spiritual training. I learned to focus on the present moment. I had to, to survive um, and learned about commitment and focus and reality. You know, the one primary difference between meditation and push ups, they're both exercises. But uh, you can't pretend to do push-ups. <laughs> so in meditation, one can just sit and daydream and, right. and say, I'm meditating. Um, so it gave me a, a realistic, grounded approach to, to living. Um, but I didn't really have a big clue about spirituality except for uh, uh, an experience I describe in, in the book that uh, gave, gave me some breakthroughs and a preview, let's say, of coming attractions. Um, but eventually... Uh, I, after, after a young marriage and, and various difficulties in my relationship, um, uh, I, I coached at Stanford University and, and then taught at Oberlin College in Ohio in the U.S. here. Um, and during that time, I was set away uh, on a grant, uh, a sabbatical leave I took over a summer to travel the world. But when I landed in California, you know, to, to go east, to the mysterious east, I traveled west from Ohio to California. And I, I called a friend and he said, Dan, I just finished this amazing training. And I trusted him. He spoke with a certain authority and, and depth. Uh, he said, look, if there's any way, it's three days, it's starting in San Francisco. Well, I ended up taking this 40-day training, an intensive 10-hour day, uh, immersive training within the group process, which accelerated everything and an immense number of skillfully interwoven exercises and 50 different kinds of meditation, breath work, body work, deep bone massage, um, uh, insight work, levels of consciousness, models of understanding. And after that, I ended up doing in this school uh, with the first mentor I call the professor because he was the headmaster of this spiritual school, unlike any that had been on the planet. And believe me, I've been around the block when I say this. I know about Patanjali and the, and the uh, eight-limbed yoga and the ancient schools uh, around the world, the Sufis and so on. Um, I'm not naive here, but this was put together from a global heritage. I, I, don't, I won't take the time to go into um, the guru, I mean, the, the, the professor's background. His name was Oscar Ichazo, and the school was called the Arika School. Um, but I did some advanced work in that school and further work. I became a, a teacher uh, uh, in, in the school for a time. Um, and the technology was fantastic. 
I learned so much. My body felt like a child's again and, and so on. But um, there seemed to be a firewall I discovered between this work, this inner work and my everyday life because I was in a struggling relationship. Uh, I was married to my, my first wife for almost eight years and we tried different things and therapy and so on. But for us, it, it just wasn't perhaps a match made in heaven. I got married young. Many people have had this experience. Um, so I became disillusioned, not, not with the ultimate benefits of the school to the body and mind and emotions, but in terms of my everyday life. And so uh, I ended up uh, uh, leaving the school. And, and soon after, a friend of mine recommended a book that led me to the second mentor. Now, this second mentor I called the guru. And in fact, for your listeners to provide a context, the four mentors that uh, influenced my life and work uh, were the professor, then the guru, and then a man I call the warrior priest, and finally, the sage. Now, I've had women teachers as well and role models, including my wife, Joy, right. um, who, who, uh, but uh, they, they happen to be four males, the, these four teachers. Now, the guru, um, each of these people were very real, um, but they were also archetypes. And they represent different aspects of the, the spiritual quest. Some people gravitate toward learning methods and technologies of one kind or another uh, to, uh, say, elevate their consciousness and bring them inner peace and so on. Um, from transcendental meditation to various other groups and methods. Um, but others find uh, this master teacher, which I call the guru. And by the way, um, I wasn't alone in my admiration of his writing and ultimately his, his presence. Uh, Alan Watts, a respected scholar and author on you know, Zen and Taoism, wrote, although I do not know Franklin Jones personally, what he says and says very well is something I've been trying to express for 35 years. And author and spiritual pundit Ken Wilber, many people have heard of Ken Wilber, he wrote elsewhere, I've put forward five books and 30 odd articles devoted to a synthesis of Eastern and Western religion and psychology. Freud and Jung, Adler, Piaget, and James and Sartre, Hinduism and Buddhism and Taoism, Christianity and Islam and Zen. I have spent my life studying these systems. He said, in my opinion, we have in the person of the guru, a spiritual master and a religious genius of the ultimate degree. Um, and he said, um, they are discussed. These points from every religious tradition are discussed with such brilliance that one can only conclude he understands them better than their originators. And that was high praise from some respected uh, uh, teachers, authors, pundits. So I wasn't alone yeah. in admiring this person, why I was drawn to him. And I was uh, in and out of his community as a devotee, as a student uh, for almost eight years. Joy and I both. She was with me through the entire, uh, all these mentors. And by the way, she also, as you noted, uh, offers commentaries in the book to yeah. give her, uh, uh, say a woman's perspective on what was going on, which is sometimes different from mine. Um, and so um, the, the guru himself was rather unusual, extremely humorous. Um, and 
for example, he described to his, his uh, followers, including me, three approaches to spiritual life. And they correspond to three primary stages or phases of human life, childhood, adolescence, and adulthood, or maturity. And in childhood, what do we need when we're children? We need um, a strong parent figure, someone to set limits, to guide us, to protect us, to take care of us, someone on whom we project power and knowledge. And in that phase of life, people can go looking for a great parent figure. Uh, and, and now there's nothing wrong with the with childhood anymore, you know, this childlike approach to teachers, but we eventually have to grow out of it. Right. And we grow into adolescence. And you'd mentioned before people who think all gurus, you know, are charlatans. Well, that's the adolescent view mm -hmm. that all these people are fakes, question authority. Right. They don't really know. They're all manipulative and so on. That's the adolescent approach. Only I know what's best for me. And adolescents need to throw off the values they've been taught to, to find their own values. Sometimes they re-embrace the, the values they grew up with. Not always. But in that adolescent phase, then they reject all teachers, all gurus, all authority figures. And they become their own ultimate authority, which as an adolescent may or may not be the wisest course. Uh, but eventually we grow into adulthood or maturity where we find wisdom in different places, maybe even in an old service station, who knows. Um, but we don't reject it. We don't just embrace it like a child. And it's important for us to understand where we are in, the, in this, whether we're more like childlike or more adolescent, or we've achieved a mature stage of life where we, we look for wisdom in unexpected places, uh, friends, adversaries, uh, we learn from everyday life. So that's one of the many, many lessons I learned from the guru that has guided my life. And um, then we, we come to the, the uh, eventually, though, for various reasons I describe in the book, I, I moved on from the guru after almost eight years, as I said. Uh, and I was done with teachers. Uh, by this time, I mean, I'd had the creme de la creme. <laughs> that was um, it, huh? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I had this incredible school and technology, and then I had this this guru we sat with and, and communicated, communed with the divine through this personage who was transparent. And, and we all presumed at the highest level of enlightenment. Um, so there, I need to interrupt my narrative for a moment by stating two things. Uh, one of the central tenets that I teach today, and it's my own tenets, I didn't pick this up from any of these, these mentors. Um, I, I don't just parrot what they told me. Right. Um, there are elements of their teaching that I found valuable and, and, and I've, I've retained uh, and I express in my own way. But what they did was they opened doors inside me, doors of insight, where I was able to begin to discern elements. For example, what I wrote in my book, uh, everyday enlightenment, the 12 gateways, I was influenced uh, in small parts by some of the teachers I had, but these were things I came up with on my own and, uh, and so on. Now, the, the other thing I want to say is that one of the central tenets, as I discussed in a few moments ago, is that there are no best teachers. There is no best philosophy, religion, book, diet, martial art, uh, approach to life. There's only the best for each of us at a given time of our life. 
Life is an experiment. We have to find out what works for us. Uh, and, and that's it's an important way of respecting ourselves in our own process. And so I wanted to state that as uh, uh, to clarify. Uh, and so I ended up moving on. And then, you know, not looking for a teacher at all, I got a phone call one night out of the blue. And, and I was invited to a lecture by somebody uh, who I ended up calling the warrior priest. And he actually had spent a good deal of time in Alaska. Um, his, his, his favorite place in the world was Alyeska. Um, and he spent time in Anchorage, Juneau, and so on. And we traveled up to Alaska once to teach right. uh, for a group of therapists. Um, so we traveled together, unlike the other teachers who were distant, at a distance from me. I met, I met the, the professor only once in the flesh, um, but I benefited from his school. And the guru was an aloof figure at, at the distance um, for the most part. But I had a personal relationship with the warrior priest. I traveled with him. We did some interviews together. Um, and he taught me uh, really one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, he, he had read Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which was why he wanted to meet me in the first place and why he befriended me. And from him, I learned really, he helped shape my ultimate career in teaching the way I do and what I do. So I owe him a great debt. Um, he was a martial artist, former uh, bounty hunter. Uh, he was a metaphysician and healer and really very powerful very insightful but his charisma was different he was more the adventure life was exciting around him um, for example when he taught uh, race car driving as a way to awaken what he called the basic self or subconscious that inner child um, it was like it wasn't like being getting driving instruction it was like uh, preparing for a hostage rescue or, or bodyguarding assignment so everything was exciting around him and I learned a great deal, which I ended up sharing with other people. I, I taught a training for 14 years um, in knife fighting, spiritual growth through knife fighting. And there was a test at the end, which people went through these amazing shifts. They had to, to quote unquote, survive the test. Um, and also uh, a life purpose system. Um, I learned, uh, well, I had 20 pages of notes which expanded eventually into an over 400 page book called The Life You Were Born to Live. I don't know if you saw that book, Brennis, but um, that was the influence of the warrior priest. And, and through various circumstances that I go into, of course, in the book, um, we, we parted ways eventually. And I, then I was really done with teachers. At that point, yeah, that what was What else it. was there to <laughs> this do? This time I'm really I'm, done. Yeah. Huh? yeah, really done this time. And then, again, the circumstances I describe in the book, I, I came across the sage who brought me back to earth from the metaphysical realms, from the, the, the spiritual highlands with a guru, uh, and from the spiritual technologies with a professor, um, and, and the adventurous metaphysical speculative ideas from the warrior priest. The sage brought me to earth so I could live with my head in the clouds, but my feet on the ground, he reintroduced me to simple everyday reality, radically simplified my life into, uh, well, in various ways I describe in, in, in the book. So those were the four mentors. And with that background, I ended up forming my own teaching that I called the Peaceful Warrior's Way. Um, this is my chance to acknowledge the teachers and my lineage, 
many teachers and speakers and pundits today, uh, you get the impression they just had a divine revelation and came up with their ideas. But most of us stand on the shoulders of others. And right. I certainly do with gratitude. All right. Well, that is a perfect time uh, to take a break. We do have a caller who's been waiting for quite a while, and we'll take her call when we come back. Um, but uh, we'll just take a brief break here. Um, my, If you're just joining us, my guest today is Dan Millman. He's the author of the international bestseller, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. We are talking about his newest book, Peaceful Heart and Warrior Spirit, which is a true story of his spiritual quest. Um, when we come back, we're going to get into, I think more, Dan, I want to really jump into like, what are your teachings? How can people uh, apply this in their daily lives and give some people some stuff to, to take away from here? So we'll get back to that when we, uh, when we come back. But after this, we'll continue our conversation with Dan Millman. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and you are listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Most people who received a COVID vaccine still have great protection against hospitalization and death. However, if you're 16 and older and it's been six months since your last Pfizer or Moderna dose, or two months since your Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you are now eligible for a booster. Learn more at covidvax.alaska.gov or call the Alaska COVID Helpline at 907-646-3322. This message sponsored by Department of Health and Social Services. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just tuning in today, my guest is author, speaker, and teacher, Dan Millman. He's the author of the international bestseller, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior along with 18 other books. And today we are discussing his newest edition, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, which is sort of a culmination of all of it and the story of how he got to where he is. Um, if you have a question for us today, please don't wait until the last minute. Call us in the next 10 minutes or so. Today's, uh, you can reach us uh, in Anchorage at 907-550-8433. You can reach us toll free at one eight 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 three five three or no yeah three five three five seven five two, and the last way is to email us line one at alaskapublic dot org. Uh, Caroline has been waiting patiently uh, on the line, so Caroline, go ahead. You're on line one with Dan. Yes, uh, and with you, that's uh, wonderful to say. It's good to have you back. Uh, I wanted to. Uh, Something that's troubled me for years is uh, how quick we are, uh, we humans, at judging other humans. You can see somebody sitting on a street corner and, and make a judgment. They're lazy, they're whatever. And uh, none of us know where that person has been or what has happened to right. them. And that, to me, has always been uh, Aquarius, to which you want to swap places with that person and see how much better you could make of it or how much worse you could make of it. Uh, because humans, without <laughs> parts from the animal, humans cannot create anything that breathes. We can build great skyscrapers, but they don't breathe. And that's the thing to, to challenge ourselves with, is what is there that we could 
help improve. Not that there aren't bad people in the world, but did they come out of the womb that way? And yes, there are genetic problems that get passed down and emotional problems that get passed down. But it's not going to get fixed without the intercession of somebody that's willing to care other than what they see. All right, Caroline, that's a uh, that's a good thought and a, a great point. And uh, I'm sure Dan has some thoughts on why we as humans denigrate um, and and uh, judge other humans. Um, it's probably insecurities and and tribalism. But uh, we'll let Dan take a shot at that real quick. It's sort of a little bit off topic, but Dan, you got some thoughts on Caroline's comments? Sure, nothing's off topic as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Caroline, thank you for offering your comments. Um, and you know, what I do, what any teacher can do is offer reminders, perspectives, and observations about, about uh, life. Uh, we communicate in, in our own ways. Andre Gide once said, everything that needs to be said has already been said, right. but it needs to be said again because no one was really paying attention. <laughs> so <laughs> I express these things in my own way. Uh, now, judgments have been around, you know, a long time. I mean, in the Bible, Jesus said, don't judge uh, the, the moat in someone else's eye without noticing the log or, or in your own. Judge not, lest you be judged, and yeah. so on. So we know about this tendency. It's not, a, it's not new. It's not worse today. Um, people tend, to, we measure the world with the yardstick of our own values. So someone else's ideas may seem strange to us, the way they behave and what they do. Um, I have a, an exercise I do here in New York City when I ride the subways. If you look uh, at the other people around in the train, uh, sitting or standing, some of them, you know, they look serious, they're preoccupied, they're looking at their phones. Uh, they don't look friendly. Um, many of them are tired. But what I do is I try to imagine some of the people. I look at them and I go, I wonder what they were like as a six-month-old. Hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, like my grandchildren or a year old or two years old. Yes, things happen to people. Uh, my view is each of us is doing the best we can within our own limitations, wounds, blind spots. Um, so it's a more compassionate view uh, about people. So I'm, I'm less inclined to at least judge them in a cavalier way. Um, I don't necessarily believe in bad people. I do believe people do misguided or, or say bad things at times. Um, so, so, you know, the question of nature, nurture, whether it was genetic or not, whether we, free willing even exists or not, that's a whole other topic. Yes, it There's is. There's no time to get into <laughs> that right now. Um, but I appreciate, Caroline, you bringing these issues up, and it's something for all of us to consider um, with, with compassion. You know, there is a, a quick story about um, Aldous Huxley. Uh, when he was in hospice care, his friend Houston Smith, who wrote the book on world religions, was, was with him. And Aldous was, was dying. And, and Houston said, Aldous, you've traveled the world studying every kind of spiritual tradition. You practiced them, not just read about them. And is there any way to summarize all that you've learned. And Professor Huxley said, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I can summarize it all in about six words. Try to be a little kinder. Mm. And that's all any of us can do. That goes back to a Buddha saying, uh, compassion is always the answer, right? And, yes. and really just trying to see the humanity 
um, in others. And, you know, I, I liked your comment because I always say hurt people hurt people. Um, and so, yeah, what is their exactly. story? And that's uh, so thank you, Caroline. I guess that was not at all off topic. And it speaks to probably the peaceful like heart. Right. And the warrior spirit of really sure. trying to see people. Um, yes. All right, I have uh, an email that I want to get to real quickly. So it's uh, from Tim. He says, good morning. First quick note, one of his favorite songs of all time is Brother Warrior by the late Kate Wolf. Worth a listen. So for those of you out there. The question for Dan is how the confluence of rigorous quantum field research and his spiritual quest either augment one another or create friction. My graduate work was in chemistry and physics, and it steered me towards the overarching focus on Eastern traditions and fundamentally altered my life. But I also found substantial pushback in the world of hard science, and rightly so. I'm curious how you incorporate or not these pursuits. Uh, do you know what he's talking about? Um, well, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take it as, as it lays. Um, uh, I, I don't comment on, on quantum physics because that's not an area of expertise. Right. I do know that quantum physics uh, works at the subatomic level. Um, it doesn't necessarily apply to the self-help realm, as many teachers uh, use the terms quantum this and quantum that. Um, but I will say that I'm a big fan of the scientific method. It was a huge discovery, this method of forming a theory and then testing it. Uh, through empirical means, measurement when possible, um, to see what's real. Because God knows we need it today, reality testing. Yes. Um, so, I, I, I mean, science, the, the scientific method brought us out of the dark ages of superstition, where this person believes this, this person believes that. How do you test it against what actually works? Um, so uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of science and the scientific method. However, um, you can't find the square root of a sonnet. Hmm. Um, th there, science has its limitations, and there is also the realm of, of, of faith. Um, so both are important. Um, and there's the aesthetic realm. Um, so we can't necessarily quantify uh, everything or study it scientifically. For example, the system I teach, the life purpose system, um, there's no scientific basis for it. I'll leave it to further researchers and theorists on how it might work. I do know it works uh, to, to lend insight into our own personalities. Anybody can try that. They can go to my website, peacefulwarrior.com, and they can right there on the landing page, they'll see the life purpose calculator. Right. They can go there, put in their date of birth, and find maybe some interesting tantalizing information, a taste of, of the depth that I offer in, in that particular book, but it's not scientific. I can't justify it in that way. So that's what I'm saying. Some things exist beyond our current understanding of science and science is constantly revising itself. So that, that's how I would respond. That's what came up for me around the comment. Um, and I appreciate it. Yeah. And I don't need to know how something works to know that it works. Um, that's not necessary <laughs> to the, uh, to the working. All right, so let's. We only got a few minutes left. I could talk to you for hours, but um, let's get into like what is the peaceful warrior way? Uh, what do you teach in your right. trainings and teachings? Sure. 
Well, I've already uh, discussed briefly the idea of living with a peaceful heart and a warrior spirit. And I've also said that I view the earth as a school and daily life as our classroom. So the arena of the peaceful warrior is everyday life. How does it work here? Um, because you know what? Inner work makes you better at doing inner work. But the inner work doesn't necessarily help you to fix your car or fix a relationship. Um, uh, in other words, the stuff of everyday life. See, I believe that we are, that we are here to learn. And that's not a big revelatory idea. But what I'm saying is, that it's impossible to fail at anything if we've learned something from that. That before there were seminars, before um, there were books, daily life continued to teach us. That daily life is guaranteed to teach us all that we need to learn. So our relationship challenges, uh, health issues, and our physical bodies, all of them will guide us to grow to learn, to expand. How many of us have had a physical ailment? We learned a lot about, about ourselves. How many of us have had a relationship challenge? Right. And we've learned a lot about ourselves and our shadow side and so on. Um, so that's one of the central tenets. Now, I, sh I should say, without copying out, I want to explain it here, but at my website, I have the basic tenets of the Peaceful Warrior's Way. Um, and it, 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 one doesn't have to do martial arts because it's, it's the warrior spirit that each of us can bring to life. Um, again, head in the clouds, feet on the ground. That's another central uh, image from this approach that I teach. It's practical. It's not, it's not a method. It's not uh, five simple principles and that's it. Uh, I wouldn't have had to write 18 books right. if that were the case. Uh, it, you can't tie it in. And, you know, someone once said, anything that can be put in a nutshell should remain there. <laughs> so I, I can't really summarize it all into a slogan, uh, but again, it is about living in the present moment, of course, as a key. But I have a different take on what that actually means. We all know it's good to live in the present, but why? Uh, do, does the past and future exist? I would say no. It's called memory and imagination. Yes. But all we have is this present moment. Um, and again, there are no ordinary moments. Let me just describe a, another quick story. Um, in the time we have, um, just a minute or two. Um, Socrates and I are in the gym, and I did I do a, a dismount off the horizontal bar. People have seen these flying through the air doing double somersaults with twists. And I stuck my landing, which is a good thing. And so I went, yes! And I, and I figured that was a good time to end workout. Socrates was watching me with arms crossed, you know, and I rip off my sweatshirt and throw it in my bag and workouts over and as we're walking down the hallway he says you know dan that last move you did was really sloppy and i go what are you talking about sock that was the best dismount i did in weeks he said oh i'm not talking about the dismount i'm talking about the way you took off your sweatshirt and put it in your mm -hmm. bag yeah he was he reminded me once again that i was treating one moment as special and another moment as ordinary like it didn't matter and again there are no ordinary moments but he added something, which I actually got this line into the movie. He said, the difference between us, Dan, is you practice gymnastics. I practice everything. Now, what does that mean? When we practice, we are doing it to refine or improve. And what does it mean to practice everything? Well, when I walk across a room, I practice walking. Can I improve? 
uh, it, what it does is these ideas, it, it absorbs us, it pulls us deeper into life. And we start treating each moment as special, that there no, are no ordinary moments. So that is, that is a central practice of this approach to living that I teach. It has to do with life purpose, a lot of material. Several of my books are titled Living on Purpose, yeah. For Purposes of Life, you know, and so on. So these are some of the central elements of this approach that I teach today. It's about paying attention, right? And uh, one of the things you said in, in your new book and when you were training your gymnastics team, you said, I'm not asking you to dedicate your life to training. I'm asking you to dedicate training to your life. Um, that yes. was that's yes. another way to say it and the movie did a great job you know i was i was worried about watching the movie because you know movies are often let down but the scene um in the park where you know socrates touches you and grabs your shoulder and then everything slows down and there's people kissing and a dog catching a frisbee and a butterfly it was really well done and it talks about noticing the things around you so um yeah that's that was well said and i think that's uh we're sort of running out of time here but i would like for you to sort of uh maybe wrap up our conversation and give people some take-home points if they're searching for something where can they start what can they do to begin um this path well they've all begun many years ago it's an ongoing process each of us again is a peaceful warrior in training so it's just a continuing process. We find what resources interest us. If, if people are curious about my work, again, they can go to peacefulwarrior.com uh, and they'll find a number of resources, the free life purpose calculator, uh, and they can look over and, and browse some of my books and descriptions. Um, I also have a link at the end. I don't know if you noticed that, Prentice, but at the very end of uh, my latest book, I have a link uh, to a page that it's better for readers of the book to go to. Okay. Um, it'll be accessible, but you might check that out later if, if you wish. Um, it has uh, some images, photo images, some videos, and, and a few other items that, um, pictures of my four mentors uh, and, and more information about them. And their books All right. Too. Thank you so much, Dan. I gotta, I gotta cut you off there. I appreciate your time. It was wonderful having you on. Um, Justin Clark will be back next week for a conversation about sleep disorders. Uh, thanks to Adeline Baxter and Tobin Shelby. Until next time, I'm Prentice Pemberton. Have a great day, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.